Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. A very special hour-long live call-in show for Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Hello and good day to you. I'm Nikki Dakota, joined in the studio live and in person, and it's been a long time coming. So glad to see the both of you. First uh, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and many famous movies that we all know and love. He's J. Todd Anderson. We're back. We cannot be stopped. <laughs> and also on your radio right, the largest frame brain in the history of film knowledge, also a nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. And all of our favorite film guy, he's George Willeman, George. I deny any knowledge of that. <laughs> our man from the Library of Congress. <laughs> 28 years and counting. Our man from the Library of Congress. We have come here uh, for the uh, purpose of kicking off a new season of shows. Do we? Are we going to give any uh, indication of... Uh, of some of the delicacies coming yeah, out. Yeah, we can way. tell you a few of those shows. Yeah. Um, we're going to have two of the greatest made for TV movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And in this the is a first for us. Absolutely. We've never TV done that before, movies. but we're not going to disappoint you. One is can you do that music? <laughs> Brian's song. <laughs> oh, no, don't say <laughs> it. <laughs> it makes us cry. It's so sad. Not to be topped by. <laughs> Duel, which reminds me of masterpiece of the world. Reminds me of driving down I ninety five through Virginia. <laughs> if you've ever experienced road rage or dish it out, you're gonna like this picture. Steven Spielberg's first film ever. Yeah, and we also got feature so film feature, ever. Oh, okay. We He'd also have um, movies made many years ago that are more prone to um, modern times, like The Incredible Shrinking Man <laughs> and um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes, with a little bit in common there, and we have. One of the best uh, anti-union, pro-union, you-make-up-your-mind movie on the waterfront. That's right. Ah. Um, I remember seeing that as a kid, and it has stuck with me ever since. And we also have some really fine shtick, you know. Now, we know that um, uh, uh, Brian's song is just completely, you know, out of control with shameless... Uh, Shameless uh, rank emotionalism. Yeah. But we have where it's okay to – we have a movie that's been called um, Many Things, and it has Hope and Crosby, and it's called On the Road to Morocco. Oh, uh, Which I got to watch the first part of last but night. One of many. We, th- we think that's the white. best one. Uh, yeah. You're going to remember that. And plus, most of the prints on that are really beautiful. It's it's Paramount at their finest Right. Uh, well, back when they were making a lot of movies. And then we have one of the greatest – Sort of musical movies ever made, Cat Blue, which was really a fantastic movie, and it still is. Um, I think it's strange, sort of a comedy, reflective musical western, yeah, thing. And it's got really wonderful segues where Nat King Cole and his uh, banjo playing pal come out of the woodwork and just start playing and they tell you the song, the narrative. <laughs> all right, well, so don't, that tell way they don't tell them anymore. Oh, don't tell them anymore. That's you have to listen in up. later. Yeah. Yeah. These are all new episodes coming up of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Go ahead and call. Get in line right now to talk live to the film guys. The number is 800 776 That's 800, toll free. Seven seven six zero zero nine zero. We had a call earlier today, gentlemen. Uh, Michael Trimmerwhip called in from Dayton. He wanted to ask you 
when what was the, the according to him and he can't remember which there was a movie that marked the very first occasion when the end credits became so exhaustive and encyclopedic so many names listed i As believe a, it was superman so very modern i think it's superman um i mean the you mean when the credits, end, credits it, were end huge? credits yes yeah, i mean because superman if i remember correctly the you know the credits are so long they actually have to Start the music over at the end. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, because everybody got credit. You know, the, if, even Cheerios gets a credit. Really? I believe now you know that, that credit roll is usually included with the duration of the movie. When you pick up a box, it says 106 minutes. That's inclusive. So your oh, actual credits. picture, um, <laughs> yeah, it could be about 98 minutes nowadays. <laughs> if you've ever sat there and watched every Asian, every Brazilian, every Indian rotoscoping artist that's on these movies, you're going to be there for a while. You might as well just go out and get another drink. because. And what precipitated that? Do we know why that switched? Uh, uh, probably, I mean, it kind of starts around the time of Star Wars, late 70s, and it could be a, a, an issue with the unions. Where oh. everybody decided, hey, you know, you're giving credit to everybody else. What about us? Yeah. You know, I mean, on some films, I've seen credits for the Honey Wagon Driver. Okay. What and is for those that? of you who don't know, that's the uh, the truck they take out to the site so people can use the bathroom. <laughs> it's called the Honey Wagon. <laughs> but in in motion pictures, what we have is when they talk about motion pictures and the production of motion pictures, what they have is above the line and below the line and below the belt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but b- above the line is usually talent, directorial, you know, um, the music uh, composer, um, really important, the big time writer. credits, the guys that make a lot of money. And then the below the line is everybody else. And theoretically, you can make a movie for real, when they say below the line cost are like 10 million, but the above the line costs are 50 million. And that's because, you know, famous guys like John Travolta are getting 10 up front. And the movies are completely lopsided because the above the line people make a lot more money than below the line. So in theory, your your movie can be made at a franchise cost of like 50 cents. But the, the above the line would be $50 million. Um, now I'm exaggerating, of course. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's part of the It's not far from the truth in the movie business, let me tell you. The, below um, the line, your name in the film at all is a part of your pay. Well, <laughs> you know, like what you're seeing, what we're talking about, all those people are below the line. And usually those credits – now, there have been people who have bucked that trend, like putting directed by at the very last thing you see at the end of the movie. That was something that started coming on, I don't know, what do you think, 20 years ago, George? Something like um, yeah. Because I remember Joel did that on Blood Simple years ago, directed by. And now it became kind of a um, – it's now the thing to do. Yeah. But originally they had to get uh, – I remember George Lucas, I believe, had to get special waiver or permission to um, to have his name at the end yeah. as director How from the DGA. So it's very political. Originally it was – I mean the agreement was that the director's credit appears the last thing you see before the movie starts. So to put it at the end. They may be different now because yeah. he kind of bucked the trend, but originally it was that's the way it was. One down. Uh, calls no. looking for your questions for the film guys. Call, write this number down if you're in transit, 800-776-0090. Again, that's 800-776-0090. And uh, get to a telephone ring through to the studio in this very special, hour-long We're special. call-in show with the film guys. Uh, George is gentlemen, special. My mother have, is special. We have uh, Jim they calling in. We're special. <laughs> <laughs> It is so obvious. I'm the special boy. We have Jim calling in from North. Down, down. 
We have Jim calling in from <laughs> North Dayton. And uh, hello, Jim. Are you there? I am. How are you? Hi. Welcome to Filmically Perfect. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I've got to say thank you guys for doing this show. It is uh, great entertainment, and we never miss it. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Torn nothing. Thank you. Your, your Fourth of July show was, was phenomenal. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Uh, but my question is, what is the longest commercially viable film? And how short does a film have to be to be considered a short? I guess commercially viable might be a, a term also. I mean, I guess maybe returned money. The, 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 where I find in, in the old films that I work with where the breaking point seems to be for shorts versus features is a short can run up to four reels. We have some – I mean, they're lengthy shorts, but they are considered a short – on the other hand, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the B movie features from the 30s and 40s were five reels. So they run just a little under an hour. So the breaking point seems to be between four and five reels. At least that's what it was during the golden age. And let me tell you, when, Brent, when George brings his shorts in here, we have to get out of the <laughs> studio. <Lengthy> shorts. <laughs> <laughs> right. I do. I have some of the longest shorts in the business. So, uh, so I guess it's sort of like a varying thing. Uh, now, as for longest viable film, you mean the, the longest film that a person can stay awake during? Well, no, no, the longest, the you know, where does the studio say that's too long? It, it, people won't sit through it. You know, it's got to be shorter than X. It seems like two hours and ten minutes is usually the breaking point anymore. And is there some really psychological good, thing about that? I wonder. Really good book to read is. Uh, the Making of Heaven's Gate. You'll get a lot of that up your nose when you read that book because yeah. that was – Chimino, they, they, they made him go out and cut a whole bunch out of the uh, movie. And he comes out, he comes back, he's only cut like three minutes out. Right. You know? And a lot know. of it, of course, depends on the studio's attitude with the director uh, because like Orson Welles, not a single film of his came out the way he intended it to. And uh, Eric von Stroheim, I mean, when he was working on Greed, his original cut was over eight hours long. Now it's a little over 100 wow. minutes. Now, you know, one of the things that uh, – what happens usually, it's studio versus director. And that's what usually happens because the directors fall in love with these things called temp tracks, rough cuts. And what, what I'm talking about is like music that they put in there to get the movie done and before they get score done. But they fall in love with this stuff. And they fall in love with their rough cuts, which can – you know, if a movie's 100 minutes long, the rough cut could be anywhere from two hours to three hours. And then that's when they have to separate. For instance, Blade Runner is a movie we're going to do. And there's a big deal on that because uh, the director went back there and made, Ridley Scott went back there and had to do his cut, which was a little bit longer. I think right. Yeah, it is, and and some things are you know some sounds are changed, voiceovers are taken out, other scenes are put back in. And it's all about a viable commodity called a movie you can sell in the theater, and mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. It's Jim, we're going to move on. Thanks for calling all right. in. Thank you very much. Thank oh, you. You're so welcome. Thank you very much. If you'd like to be on the phone with the uh, film guys, you'll need to go ahead and go to the phone and call 800-801-9976. That's 800-801. No, that's the that's you know what? It's the we um that's the pledge line number. It's actually different. You can pledge you to us. You can pledge to us. Yes. <laughs> pledge to the film guys. That's right. We pledge that we will agree with everything you say and that you're wonderful and there's no scale to your understanding. 
nice little pledges like that. We and would, bring, of course, donuts. Take your bring, donuts. bring donuts. Bring donuts. It's 800 776 0090. That's 800 776 0090. Jay Todd, we had another call this morning. People have been calling all Well, that guy's just. Too late now, Too isn't late. he? We're yeah. in the and studio. Now, he wanted to know um, how it was that you first met the Cohen brothers and how you convinced them to hire you. And, and I want you to remind us I, when I'm not going to. It's a very, very long story. No, I'm going to sit down. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'll just do the short version. Okay. All right. And what it is, is as I was very persistent. I met them. I auditioned. And they hired me in a it nutshell. It so smooth and easy. It does, but it was not. <laughs> Here's the thing. Persistence. I know so many more people out there in the business that have really become successful, even though a lot of people have sworn to everybody that there's no talent there, but because of their persistence, they got it done. Persistence is the way anything is done. And that's how I, I met those guys. And I had seen Blood Simple with George, and we really appreciated their work because they were our age, and they looked like kind of the guys that we were kind of idol worshiping at the time, like Spielberg and all that. There was a whole crew of Which them that we really liked. Which was the elder statesman in a way, <laughs> right. maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, there was all those guys were guys that we looked up to. And then the brothers came along and did this really nice movie. Um, and George and I had made this little movie called Don't Tread on Me. And we had storyboarded it. And it was very similar. But the, the short answer is... You have to be persistent if you really want it. We've got another call on the line. I want to go to that, but I wanted to ask, actually, just my own curiosity. What was the first non-Cohen Brothers movie that you storyboarded? I didn't story. The first movie I storyboarded was Raising Arizona. Now, I worked in made-for-TV land for three movies, the Dallas television show stuff, and then I did this thing called Thompson's Last Run. Those were horrifying experiences, (laughs) and I was ready to come back to Dayton and work at Rice Department stores after those because they were so terrible. Um, But fortunately, Robert Mitchum was a really nice guy, and he took me under his wing, and he was a real star. And then I met the brothers, and it was a whole different world. Those guys were there to make movies, and that's what George and I are pretty much dedicated to doing so we have eileen on the on the line eileen's listening in kettering today and i think she has a bone to pick for one of your perfect movie picks uh, eileen are you there yeah it's not exactly a bone no really no it's, it's not one of those rubber bone pet things that you give to your dog or anything <laughs> no no not even that okay no, it's shaped like a bone so okay. after i tell you what movie it is okay, okay. it's buckaroo bonds oh we love that movie. the eighth dimension Ooh, that's a great movie is so, it a great movie? No, it's on our list. We, we've actually we reviewed that. It's on our list. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We George saw I that. Love we, that movie. we were fortunate to see that in the theater Ooh. when it was first oh. out. Tiki. And we sat there the whole time and it was like, Adford was like, this is great. And we knew that it was going to be great for us when a young person <laughs> in the front yelled out, that was terrible, after it was over. We yeah, knew we that it that. was going to be our film. What a schmuck. Yeah. Yes, that is it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, John you, Lithgow gives the best performance. He's crazy. Yes. Laugh away you can, the monkey boy. Yeah, laugh away yeah. you can. No, that's one of those that's enduring catchphrases, yes. too. So, so actually, it, it was a situation of great minds thinking alike without yeah. everyone. Yeah, alike. if you go up to uh, either iTunes, I think, and it should be on our website in the archive. That would be perfect movie. Okay. Yeah, you can hear our mindless commentary on that if you just go okay. to perfectmovie.net. Okay, that would be lovely. Oh, well, great. You. So, Buckaroo Banzai, Eileen from Kettering, thanks for calling today. Thanks, Eileen. Thank you. If you'd like to call and be on the air with the film guys, you can 
do that at 800-776-0090. Again, that's 800-776-0090. George, you uh, first came through Wright State University Mm -hmm. and uh, were a film student. That's how the film guys met. And in fact... It was one of the uh, the questions that we had on the promo leading in. And do you guys remember the first talking time? Talking about my hair again? Well, we're going to talk about that later. Oh, okay. <laughs> do you remember the first time you met? Yeah, we were in the same class. Yeah, yeah we were in uh, one of the uh, the uh, preliminary film production classes. Mm-hmm. And and it was very evident after a couple of, of classes that we both had the same rather demented view of filmmaking <laughs> and the same kind of sense of humor. So we started working, you know, we got together and started working on either uh, blah, blah, each other's projects yeah. and the rest is history. George is always in all my movies. He's like the he's always the guy up front. That's and right. I got to tell you um because I was just getting into movies back then. George had been studying them since he was really small. Third grade. And I always I always tell everybody you you surround yourself with people who have more talent than you'll ever dream of and you'll you'll probably, you know, get something done. And that's why I hung out with George cuz George knew more about movies than anybody I'd ever met. And I had seen a lot of these movies. I just couldn't identify them because they were on television. And George helped me. He kind of guided me to understand what – because like I've said many times in the Super 60s, at night television went off at 12 o'clock. And I then they it. showed movies all night long. And that's what I did all summer was watch movies till 6 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know George could identify those movies. He could. I'm not kidding you. And, and a lot of those were the greatest movies ever made because that's why television bought them. Because it's hard to believe and hard to fathom right now if you're young that that's what they ran all night long was movies all night long on Friday and Saturday and Sunday at 6 o'clock. Some would be coming up and then they'd have a news. Um, you know, during the week they'd have played the national end and it was done. You were still making out with your girl on the couch, you know. <laughs> Until the old man came downstairs. So I think it's fair to say that you guys had film in your blood. I mean, you just. Well, I was just discovering it, and George had already been there and done that so many times. He was bumping into himself. Uh And one of our shows is going to have our famous professor, Dr. Charles Derry, and George was like the sideshow in that he had all the information it was like internet you know george which one is that one george would tell him you know and this is all true i'm not exaggerating here um that's how it was and we developed our list way back then indeed and that was uh, one of the first things when we finally met that you told me about this i said well let's talk about this on the radio and it's been Absolutely. a lot of fun it's been since august 4th 2006 we've been doing this coming up on six years those women always keep pleasure. track of stuff like that don't they it. yeah my wife does it <laughs> i'm not sure what we got a studio audience in here. Somebody tripped over we the phone. We do. There we go. Here we go. We've yeah. got, we're going now to uh, Gary <laughs> listening in Dayton, and he has a, a, a movie that he would like to suggest. Gary, welcome to Filmically Perfect. Hello. 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 Hi. Hello. So you, hello. hello, Gary. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I think we were all, yes. Go everyone. ahead. Uh, uh, yeah, I, had a, a, I think I called before, and I asked you guys about the, the, uh, the president's analyst. With, uh, oh. oh yes! I just actually <laughs> found I found a DVD copy of that somewhere back in Virginia, and I sat down and watched it, and it's just. Oh. In fact, right after that, the next day I went to work and I looked in our system, and we actually have an original Technicolor, IB Technicolor print of that that Paramount gave us back in the early '70s. So I'm trying to get it shown at our theater in Culpeper. Isn't now, that- but. 
for people out there, when we say Technicolor, and it's getting a little long in the tooth because people don't remember what Technicolor was, was the first you know, fully automated color process for movies like Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz. And what that was, you had to kind of think about this. It was three negatives that were uh, three different colors, and they registered into color. And one of the things that makes all those Technicolor movies look so beautiful is that they were printer's inks. They weren't vegetable dyes. That's why they're so rich and so colored. Now, they're a little – they're not sharp and clear like you're used to seeing nowadays with digital. But there is a, a romantic kind of vision about these things when you see them. The red shoes, Dorothy's red shoes, yeah. that's all Technicolor working on your senses right, right. there. So this one was oh. – um, tell me, Gary – how do you how do you know about this movie? Obviously, you you saw it. Well, and it I, stayed with I, you. I, you can get the DVD. They they just they got it released on DVD right now. You can buy. I bought a new one. Right. Uh, it's it's going to be getting a little hard to find because I believe Paramount is 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 closing up all their. I mean, they're starting to clear out the warehouses of all their discs. So hmm. because well, so many of the companies, I think there was some sort of legal problem with this movie because there's a a scene that they actually cut out where uh, James meets his girlfriend. Uh, and I've seen I've seen it one time where they were at a like a like a film showing of a uh, an art picture or something, hmm. and they actually showed the picture on the oh, screen. Oh, okay. So maybe they couldn't get the rights to, or they didn't want to pay for the rights oh, to show the screen, film again. A film oh, that's a film. probably what it is. Yeah, that, yeah, because that scene is not on the DVD. I'll have to see if our print probably has that scene in it. Would, would that movie be classified as a black comedy? Oh yes, <laughs> it's a okay. black psycho comedy without hesitation. <laughs> Yeah, and well, very I mean, po- very political you know, too. Uh, Godfrey Cambridge, or how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Godfrey Cambridge, yeah. Watermelon Man. Yeah. That was oh. a great movie. And that, that scene where they're in uh, in some sort of city where they're walking around with the other actor, and every scene where they're changing clothes. Yes. <laughs> And I just think that's so cool. Well, okay. Well, this will be a little, a little uh, heads up, little tip of tip of the hat, of uh, tip of the uh, the hand to see of things to come. So if you can get your hands on it, president's uh, analyst, maybe this will be coming up on. I, I would say almost edition. definitely. It's it's okay. there's not another Great. film like it. Gary, thank you very much for calling in, Gary from Dayton. Uh, Thanks, Gary. Stand by. We've got a uh, gentleman phoning in from Xenia. I do believe that uh, this will be John from Xenia. John, welcome. Welcome. Oh, here we go. There you go. Welcome to Filmically Perfect. John, where John. are you? There he is. John, I bet you hear me now. Oh, yeah, I hear you now. Do you hear me? Hello, John. Welcome to Filmically Perfect. What's your question for the film guys? Uh, yeah, it's uh, more of a question more related to Jay Todd. Um, and also, <laughs> well, I'll sit down uh, again. a little bit of advice for listeners. If you want to see movies, go to the public library. They've got... Like everything. Well, you know, we get a lot of, you know, we're working on some sort of sponsorship with anybody that can provide these movies because a lot of the titles we pick out are really obscure and the only people that find them are people that go to the library. How about it? And we always tell people, um, go to the library and you might find it there, but we can't really tell you specifically where to go. Like um, Louis Benoit movie we did, it was really hard to find. Uh, or Exterminating Angel was a really hard movie. Yeah, Wooden Crosses. And think about Eyes on the Prize, which I only learned through the film guys, is it, it, it had a limited lease on much of this uh, archival footage 
footage and it can't be re-released. So the right. only way you can yeah. find it, and then you have to be real careful which you have to be real careful which cut you're going to look at because you might be looking at an yeah. incomplete cut, and that's where George comes in. You can send a letter to us, and George hmm. will specifically point you like Elvis, the Elvis movie we did. There's a really good cut of that, and then his family got in there, and messed it all up, and there's a bad cut. But the one that really shows Elvis all the way. What was right. uh, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And that's what the library is a very, very valuable, although it's not as valuable as it used to be with the research desk. You know, you used to call them up. Now you do it on the Internet. But you can get great movies there. And let, let me well, just say, as, as – oh, uh, we, we rented – well, we signed out Paul. And, um, Paul? I just, Paul? Uh, I just want to mention that's not that, a classic uh, movie. I got paid the movie fifteen bucks. On good, but you know, he I just said he thought the movie was good. Keep um, doing the sketches and whatnot. Oh, Paul was a very interesting experience because um, I wanted to ask, uh, how did that compare to? I mean, the, your time in front of the camera as to your time behind behind the scenes behind the camera. I mean, in that movie, doing your your uh, your sketchboards. Well, it's, I'm always way up front, and the vision is being pounded out through the storyboarding process. And then I get lucky once in a while, and they say, hey, dumbhead, why don't you be the actor dumbhead guy? And I said, I <laughs> can do that. You play a clerk in that I movie. Can, yeah. And it's very Bill funny. Hader holds me up with a gun. That's pretty funny. funny. In, a, in, a, in a little, like, like Dark Lord bookstore or something like that. Yeah, those guys, those Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are very funny guys. I couldn't. I'd be on the stage with them, maybe rehearsing, and I couldn't stop laughing. They were very funny guys. But uh, no appreciate doubt. the compliment. They, they, That's very the, nice. The two of them together are like the new Abbott and Costello, I think. <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you very much for your call today on Filmically Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And I will just say, as an employee of the Library of Congress, yes, support your local library. Yes. Our man, the Library of Congress. If you would like to get on the air with the Film Guys, call 800-776-0090. That's 800-776-0090 rings right through here to the studio and uh, you can ask any of the burning questions that you've always had we have another caller on the line in just a moment we're going to go to mike from belmont but i wanted to say another thing in the promo was why can't j todd settle on a hairstyle (laughs) (laughs) and that is because he does often do these cameos so he goes off and draws a movie and then they shoot it but they ask him to get in it and he comes back always with a wildly different head of hair (laughs) well if you ever have the opportunity to go in front of the camera just say, do whatever you want to. Don't yeah. complain Don't about complain. getting your hair cut or anything. <laughs> just say, whatever you want to do is fine. Your hair will go back. Just short of throwing acid on your face for good effect. You know, <laughs> kind of stick with just letting them do whatever they want to do. Don't or even like, think about it. Just let them, because on Leatherheads, Clooney was always giving me a crazy haircut. And that's, you know, they'll make fun of you like they do here at Wiseau. But it's J- worth it, because you'll still get paid. <laughs> I think of Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Didn't they actually cut his knife with the uh, no. cut his nose with the knife? I, knife? I, I, I can't see seen that, that happening. We were gonna ha- just the very, the very tip of it. Okay, we, you know, we're going to have to look it up and get we'll back to it. it but So anything short yeah, of cutting right, your cut nose. Now my nose is going to itch for the rest of the program. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Hey, Remember got... you cut my nose off for that movie? That was cool. I think we've got next here Mike listening in Belmont. Mike, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, welcome to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WISO. And what's your question for the film guys? Uh, well, I have, I've always heard um, stories about uh, images that appear in film. Uh, that may have sort of, uh, I don't know, like subliminal or unconscious messages. Symbolism, um, in a way? Yeah, and for example, like the if popcorn reading experiment. a particular mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. Um, you know, a character is going to find redemption, or if there's an open window in the background of the scene, 
there's an opportunity coming for the character or oh yeah a lot of that i mean there was a time as john was alluding to the the overt example is like the popcorn experiment back in the 50s where they actually did flash subliminal images images like just me. a single frame of right. some delicious but food. i think what you're speaking more yeah are like like things in the backgrounds that might sort of give you a clue of what's going to happen next um, yeah, sort of subliminal. Yeah, one of the really one of my favorites, and and it starts out kind of it starts out a little bit, and then by the end of the movie they're whacking you over the head with it. If you ever see the original version of Scarface from 1932, anytime a character dies in that movie, you will see an X in the scene somewhere, a shadow in the in the Ooh. wall in the wallpaper, something like that. And even the opening credit it has Scarface directed, blah blah blah. Behind the word Scarface is a big X. So all the way through that film. Our exes. Now that's clearly intentional. Very much intentional. In fact, there's a, a recreation of the St. Valentine's Day massacre in that one. They don't show you the guys getting shot. They go up to the rafters of the garage where there are like seven exes in a row. As the, oh. in the scene. Now, here's the scary part of that. What they were trying to do to force it, and now it's happening, happening automatically nowadays. The audiences that watch movies are so sharp nowadays because of television and, and the instant replay. They on are your able to spot two frames mm-hmm. on a movement, and they will cut stuff. You watch your trailers; you're going to see stuff in there, and you're able to register these images. And part of that is because a lot of the images that you're used to seeing every day, like a car or um, simply a dog's head. That stuff has already been cut in your head before it happens, so they don't have to spend much time on there. Maybe a, a half a frame even. They've even seen where people can pick up a half a frame. Wow. And the subliminal process is now well beyond anything they ever dreamed of because I can tell you I've been in the editing room enough to know that they've cut stuff so slim. And and when this stuff goes out nowadays, um, people are freezing it to look at it. Oh, you know, I do it. The second and third pass, and then they're back and they're saying, look at that. Uh, I was so cool. I found a continuity error. Well, they're able to do that now. There's yeah. a difference, though. I mean, there's there's the like subliminal, and then there's all those, the symbolic, which I get the feeling like in the silent film era, symbolism was just a lot more important. It was like an extra well, yeah, it, because you, you the didn't dialogue. have the way to, to vocally speak to these so, things, so you do it in yeah, images. That's, uh, that's, that's really all really vocabulary. Is, is yeah. the symbolic stuff. I mean, is there like a standard template of, you know, open doors mean opportunities? No. No, it depends on the director. I mean, right. Hitchcock was a big one for that. And if you look at something like Spellbound, Spellbound's yeah. got – I mean, a lot of Spellbound's doors. about psychological things anyway. So you've got doors opening and doors closing and, and snow. And at the end, probably one of the greatest moments in any of his films is at the end when one of the characters commits suicide. When he turns a gun on himself and fires, the original prince had the gunshot tinted a bright red. So it was a psychological effect that jarred the audience. And as far as I know, I don't know if they've done that on the new DVD. We do have a, an original print at work that has the, the two red frames in it. But I can tell you as an artist, when I'm sitting down with a director and I'm starting to get a little tired uh, and I can see where they're going, I just find an image that everybody understands. Yeah. A bow tie. Uh, and I put that in there. And before you know it, they pick that thing up so quick. So there is something to the images that we live with every day that are imprinted. And Scorsese has a really good commentary on that whenever you get to catch it anywhere. And he's talking about these imprinted images that They're we like look. like icons. For like the underside, the underside of a dog. Nobody knows what that really looks like. You don't see it. <laughs> I, I, believe me, I've been there, done that. Or <laughs> or steaks on a grill underneath that. You can't. That's not a, an image. Right. But right. a rearview mirror. 
you, that is such a powerful tool that yeah. you can go anywhere with a rear view mirror. Just put your hand, put a hand up there, and you got it. You can go anywhere you want. Uh, very good. Thank you so much, Mike, for calling Filmically Perfect today. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm a big thanks, fan. Thanks, Mike. I listen every week. So. Oh, thank you so much. You're the best, man. Uh, I'll remind you that this is 91.3 WYSO Yellow Springs, Dayton, Springfield. We are online at WYSO.org. We broadcast in HD, and we are a service of Antioch University for the Miami Valley. Uh, speaking of things that you might draw in, um, we have a gentleman on the line here who um, has a, a kind of a, a very fundamental question for you. It's a pleasure to welcome Steve from Hubert. Heights. Steve, hello, are you there? Hello, Nikki. Hi. Oh, hello. <laughs> I like you already. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys ever since you came around. <laughs> we love a loyal listener. I know it's a, a little simplistic uh, after the subliminal, subliminal, subliminal. Images, but what the heck is a storyboard? I really don't know. Well, I'll sit down again. It's called a paper rehearsal. Um, movies cost a lot of money. Uh, and they're a big gamble. So one of the ways to circumvent uh, those high risk and cost are to simply, quite simply draw a, a picture. Because no matter what you do, that script that everybody runs as a universal kind of language, words, has to become an image. And ha- that's where it gets interesting in movies. You know, it has to go from that image. It has to go from that word, which is an intelligent thing, to an image, which is an existential thing. So how I figure in there is I draw the whole movie by hand, and then they shoot what I draw, and it's under the directorial um, orders. Of so it cuts down on trial and error. It just, right. it just helps and control it, it, cost. It started out actually in animation, yes. especially Disney, Disney and, and Max Fletcher right. Night, because animation being so expensive, it was so – especially when sound came in because they had to you know frame out everything to fit with the sound. So they would storyboard the entire movie. And you can actually see if you go to some of the Disney websites or books, you'll see these walls full of drawings. Oh. So, and then you know, as as they went along, people found out about this process, and directors said, "Ooh, I can think this movie out ahead of time." And they used to do um, they cut the whole audio first, the vocalizations. Uh, maybe it was rough, but and then they had their bed, which was two and a half minutes long or whatever it was supposed to be, and then they could drop the storyboards in on top. Of what we call an animatic now was how Disney did that. They called them. Pencil tests and things like that. Oh, pencil tests. Mm-hmm. I know that term. I didn't um, realize that's what that so was. So you're sort of the uh, the stage between the screenwriter and, say, the cameraman. Yes. There are many ways to make a movie, of course, but um, you can go straight from script to camera, which is a terrible burden, or you can make it easier on yourself and just kind of visualize what they're going to do before you do it. And that... That road from script to camera is where I play in there. Uh, ever since I met the Coen brothers, they insisted on doing that because a lot of a lot of people go straight from script to camera, and what you got is chewing gum from the eyes. There's a lot of people standing around talking and being very, very fancy over the shoulder shots, but there's no exposition like uh, really great movies like Duel. That is exposition. Oh, well, I was just man. thinking, if you want to see probably one of the best books about storyboarding that I've ever seen, I think we both have it, yeah. is the uh, is the published screenplay to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's called the Illustrated Screenplay, and it has the storyboards intermingled yeah. with the script, and it shows how they worked out the special effects scenes and everything. It's really, really and fascinating. And that's what got me started in the business was yeah. that book. No you know? kidding. Yeah, that was it. That's my f- that was a book. Those guys came before me. They were the artists before my generation. Yep. Now there's, we have our own generation, which, you know, I'm sure there's going to be somebody else. But that's the book. I think George had it. 
I have it. I, I went out of my it. mind over it. I had to find my it own. It must have been you know? such a, a blind uh, endeavor. I mean, the earliest movies. I don't. I understand. I'm getting the impression they didn't storyboard. They didn't have this well, little sure video thing yeah. that you could. I mean, it's, it's almost. But like I mean, it would that, be a great start, surprise. There was well, some of the really. I mean, storyboarded. some of the films, like some of Griffith's early films. Yeah. I mean, the cameraman couldn't even look through the camera. That's right. They he just had to know. You know. Well, they well they had his marks on the floor. And they would figure out with just the rangefinder where the shot was, and then they close up the camera because no light could go through the camera. And they put tapes on tape on the floor, and that's where the focus puller would. You know, you'll notice in the older movies, the over the shoulder shots are back a little bit farther, so they use that shoulder to register what they were doing. Oh, interesting! Now they're closer Actually, because as, they can look through the camera. As far as back video, then, they were safe. As know? far as video assist is concerned, we may have spoken to this before. We you did. Know, who Jerry it is? Lewis and Jerry Lewis. That. Yes, Jerry right. Lewis developed video assist. Learned that from the film guys. And we uh, make yes, such it fun was, of poor it was Jerry. one of Jerry's. <laughs> great but you know what's brother. what's really fascinating about those old movies is that the camera may be askew occasionally, but they're hardly ever out of focus. Even it's just every time I watch a really old movie like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is on our list, it's always in focus. Mm-hmm. And nowadays they can look through the camera, but they're always missing their focus. You know, Isn't that interesting. A, a so they're almost like like by sense of uh, like a sixth sense for what's going on because they were almost utterly blind until the film was. Developed and they got a chance to look mm-hmm. back at it. I just think the kind studio. I think they also had the so studio head behind them yeah. going, "You've messed this up again. You're out of here." <laughs> you bring our starlet in there with the best take you ever did today, and it's out of focus. You are out of here, buddy. <laughs> You'll never work in this town again oh, unless I need you. Uh, Steve, <laughs> thank you so much for calling I, in I today. Had a quick question about the list. Okay, uh, has um, a lion in winter made it onto there? No, that's a darn good movie, though. We have to think Certainly about one that. Of my that's favorite. a beautiful yeah, movie. We'll have to. Really is. We'll that have is to go into conference with Bud on. Yeah, that we have one. to go talk to Bud Inski. <laughs> you know, over here, Wiseau, they have new studios, and if you come into Yellow Springs, you'll see this tower, and at the thirteenth floor, which is the top, <laughs> that's where Bud Inski <laughs> runs Frozen Turkey Radio, <laughs> which is us, and we are we are shoveling coal and hell down here just for him, just for him. Bud Inski. I think our, we, you know we ask him about Lion and Winter one yes. time. He says, "I don't like animal movies." <laughs> <laughs> we'll try again. <laughs> Steve, thanks for calling in today. Thank you. And, and guys. Thank you. <laughs> if you would like to get on the air with the film guys, the number to call is 800-776-0090. That's 800-776-0090. We are celebrating the... Um, the kickoff of a brand new uh, series of shows, new season of Filmically Perfect. We are heck. We uh, celebrate movies every week here. I know, and we uh, have come together uh, all together in person. It's just a delight to be looking at the both of you. And if you have uh, had a question, maybe about one of the shows, something that we've talked about, or um, something that you've just been intrigued at about the film guys themselves, the number to call eight hundred seven seven six zero zero nine zero again. Toll free eight hundred seven seven six. Zero zero nine zero. We have uh, kind of an interesting call here. A gentleman Ooh. wants to describe a movie that he saw as a kid. Man, no gesticulations, okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, William, are you there with us? Yes. William, you 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 saw a movie some years ago, and um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about when I was a little boy, and I remember the movie was so profound it made me cry. Mm. It was a Christmas coming home theme. Maybe because I was a little boy, I don't remember uh, the actors and actresses, but I think maybe Barbara Streisand, uh, Stan, Stanwig, I think maybe George Rapp, I think maybe Ronald Reagan. Wow. Uh, it was, and, and I haven't been able to find 
Was there the a chimpanzee in this movie? Do you remember uh, any elements of the story besides the actors? Well, uh, I, there was one scene where uh, either George Raft or Ronald Reagan was in a big warehouse or something, and there was snow outside. And then at the end of the movie, he goes to this big house where there's a, a big Christmas party get-together or something. Hmm. I'm going to have to take this down, and I will All have right, to I'll tell you get what, back um, to you on Sarah, this. I'm going to put this call on hold. If you could grab his number, we're going to do a little bit of our own sleuthing. And, William, we'll see if we can figure this out, and we'll get Great. back to you. All right? Thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. <laughs> this is Filmically Perfect live on 91.3 WYSO, and um, you can get on and talk to the film guys. Maybe you've had that. I have. That's, that's kind of fun, the notion you can reach way back in there and someone could help you uh, dust off uh, the cobwebs. If you have any such questions at all, give us a call, 800-776-0090. That's 800-776-0090. Um, you guys both went to Wright State University together. Correctly. Yeah. And what is it? There seems to be a uh, prevailing wind of greatness that runs through this film school has it ever have you ever been able to in yourself think about what it is about this Dayton Ohio uh, university named for the Wright brothers right here in the middle of America that seems to turn out a pretty seriously steady stream of great film well, I was, people I thought this even even when I was there that one of the nice things about Wright State's film school is I mean the the what's bad about it is also what's great about it I mean the bad thing is that they don't have the access to the biz, the Hollywood biz. They don't. They can't really have a lot of people come in from the business. They can't have a lot of a- access to what Hollywood has to offer mm-hmm. for the students that go to like UCLA or USC sure. or something like that. But that's also a good thing because in exchange for that, they are forced to become the most creative filmmakers they can with the little that they have here in Dayton. Necessity ne- and also necessity is a mother. I when I when I just yeah. Whose mother's in here now? Um, when I got into wanting to make movies, I tried to apply at film schools, and, and my grades weren't very good. It was just hopeless. But I went over to Wright State and went this in is there. true. It's absolutely true. Wright State is like the, the, one of the greatest commodities in the film business that nobody really knows about. And I always tell people, well, I want to go to Columbia. Well, what do you want to go there for? You can go to Wright State. Wright State's the best film school. We've proven it. Look at all the people who are out there working. You know, Eric Bork. Um, Steve Bognar, everybody's out there making movies, and they all came from Wright State. Um, that's, it's. I just think it's just one of the most glorious, you know, pearls that nobody knows about in the movie business. And uh, and I always tell people when I'm out working on movies, I'm running a lot of kids in Hollywood now from Wright State. Um, Is that right? Mm-hmm, a lot. They have a group where they meet, I think, on Tuesday and Wednesdays. And I, unfortunately, I'm always out there working. I can't find. Where the group is. I secretly imagine, <laughs> imagine that the same sort of thing that's in the water that makes Here's this. another cool thing about Wright State. When George and I was there, um, now Chuck has said that he was really frustrated because the equipment and everything was so junky. And, and Chuck is. Chuck Derry, he was he was our professor. And, and that was very frustrating because, but here's the thing. When George and I were there, we were just lucky to have all that equipment. Nowadays, it's so easy to make a movie, but back then it was very difficult because that equipment had to have separate sound, and we had 16-millimeter cameras and, and, and Super 8. But the cool thing was is when we were there, that stuff 
we were instantly Orson Welles because we had stuff to make movies with. Nowadays, it's very easy. It's hard to understand that because you can do that with your video camera. But Wright State provided that opportunity back then. Now they have a really nice facility. And, and although that was kind of rough back then, we appreciated it. We loved it. Uh, we loved checking out cameras. It was just fascinating. Well, and the idea of shooting, we, I mean, we actually shot our first major projects in Super 8 film, which, you know, is, is very hard to come by now. But shooting a film in Super 8 with a separate soundtrack and then editing, as we called it, spaghetti uh, into a into a synchronized sound film. I mean, if you can survive that, then you know you we can go. good you can eyes, go let me tell you. Yeah. Our eyes were awfully good back then. Um, it, was just, it was just a magical time for us because – We'd have that equipment when we went out. And because we shot in Super 8, George and I shot in Super 8, we made more movies. Assisting uh-huh. was still expensive back then, uh-huh. especially. Yeah. But we could make five to one of their every movie. And sometimes they didn't even get their movies finished, but we were pounding them out. Looking for your calls at 800-776-0090. That's 800-776-0090. I had a call earlier this morning. gentleman called in from Piqua, and he wanted to know specifically how it was that these rules got formulated. Was this a night after night of, like, intentionally trying to come up with rules? <laughs> or... <laughs> Yeah, that's what we do, man. Yeah, <laughs> night after night. We just keep working on it. But it is an interesting set, and he wanted to know uh, how how you settled on the uh, the three perfect movie rules. I'm not sure exactly how we settled on them, but I think the, the sort of the genesis for it was that there were, you know, everybody and his uncle has a list of movies, yeah. and they always number them, you know, one uh, through ten. We hate that. And, and it became to us that it was some, a lot of the lists were kind of facetious, and it was always the same films, and it was either they're just, you know, they're tagging on the back of somebody else. And and we thought it would be good to come up with an idea for uh, a set of rules that were our very own, that were incredibly subjective, so that no one else could really claim them. <laughs> yes. And you know, well, and, I love them. I love these. Well, rules. we've had a, quite a few nice compliments from art museums about it too. You really? know, because I hate when they make like who's to say a Peter Paul Rubens is better than a Van Gogh. That's maybe one of you the know? things that I appreciate most, that this, these are not ranking. No. Here's not the best movie ever. It's an appreciation. This is a perfect movie. An appreciation. That's what it is. That's right. I mean, we could say just as much about Plan 9 from Outer Space yes. as we could about Gone with the Wind. Yes. And actually, I like Plan 9 better. <laughs> but it's it's perfect in its own scale. And and how many times do you say that's a perfect song or whatever? Like, what's that movie you always do? Down with Love. Down with Love. If that you makes your heart sing and if that still makes you respond... <laughs> You know, it's just like an old Beatles song. It'll still turn you on. That's why it's still classic in its own. Uh, it has still has meaning, just as much meaning. Like Day the Earth Stood Still, that film is just as important now as it was when it came out. That's right. So like the Day the Earth Stood Still is kind of like when I'm 64, whereas Down with Love is more like Revolution Number Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Or why don't we do it in the road? So says you. Eight hundred seven seven six zero zero nine zero. You see how this gets complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. Eight hundred seven seven six zero zero nine zero. Just about fifteen minutes left in this show. Uh, go ahead and get in line and uh, get your questions to the film guys. And again, we're celebrating the kickoff of a brand new season of Filmically Perfect on WY. So our sixth year anniversary coming right up, and uh, it's been a great, great ride. Do you have a perfect moment in uh, one of the films that we've discussed that you'd like to share with the film guys or maybe you'd like to uh, take us to task on uh, some of the uh, uh, information that we've sent your way. However you've uh, ever thought about a film question, go to your phone and call 800-776-0090. And uh, so George, do you ever like wonder if um, 
you're thinking, oh, okay, that film's awfully good. I'd like to see it again. And then go to your work at the Library of Congress, get the original off the shelf, put it on a machine, and just watch it to check for sure. There have been times, yes. Are you serious? There have been, yes. <laughs> Um, and, a, and a couple of times, a couple of times, <laughs> things that I've discovered, I'm like, oh, people have got to see this. I'll give you a good example. Um, there's a Joan Crawford movie from the 50s called Queen Bee, and it's a great movie. I mean, it's we might, might have it's, it's really, really good. And she's just, oh, she's horrible. Just, just wonderfully horrible. Yeah. And I finally saw it on DVD, and I was like, this is great. Oh, man, people got to see this. And it turned out we had a print of it at the library that came in through copyright that had looked like it had never been run. So I finally convinced them to show it as part of our regular series, and everyone's kind of like, well, no one knows this movie. I'm like, no, people will come to see it. And people came to see it, and I got so many comments that that was great, you know, because it's just Joan Crawford at her wide-shouldered, angry best. Severe best. best. Just severe. So, yes, if you can find Queen Bee, highly recommend it. (laughs) Great movie. Uh, We have another caller on the line here. It looks, in fact, well, I I think that we've got uh, David on the line here. Is this David? Yeah, David. Welcome to Filmically Perfect. Oh, thanks, David. I like your uh, your show uh, quite a bit. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate I just that. To say, my son is in uh, Beijing. He's been studying Chinese for a while, and he's talking about the, the definition of perfect and how his friends there <laughs> chide him for how Americans say everything is perfect, uh, <laughs> and they think that that you know, is a little excessive. But um, he said that uh, like, oh, I'll meet you at two o'clock. Just when I'm going to be there isn't the same as perfect. As they mean, but anyway, the characters that uh, are used to talk about perfect have uh, end and beauty in them, almost like it means the end of beauty. And I thought that was a poetic way to describe it. Interesting. And I thought of that while listening to you, and Aww. that's what I wanted to say. So thanks again, and keep it up. Oh, thank you very much, David. Thank you so much. If you'd like Welcome. to get, thank you, and thanks for listening. <laughs> if you would like to call eight hundred seven seven six zero zero nine zero, you can talk to the film guys, and uh, we're coming up just in the last ten minutes of the show. So do call now if you've been thinking about that. Uh, next up, we go to I believe. Um, actually, who do uh, who do we have on the line here? Scott. 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 Hey, how are you doing? Welcome to Filmically Perfect. Uh, I'm looking outside and there's heat today. Oh. That's awful. Anyway, I was listening and you were talking about movies and uh, affected you. When I was a kid, I saw a movie called Charlie with Cliff Robinson. Oh, movie, yes. Man. Fantastic movie. Yes, I guess. It's on our list. Another movie with Joan Crawford called Autumn Leaves. Very good movie. I've heard of well, that one, but I haven't. I hate to say I've not I, seen that. George has reached for I, I thought it was just going to be some sappy love story. Turned out to be uh, kind of intense. Uh, Robertson plays this crazy person. Anyway, he's one of my favorite actors. Anyway, I had heard that he was blackballed from the business for a while. When was he blackballed? And if you guys can uh, allude as to, to why and, and what happened. Yes, here. actually, there's a. I can't remember the name of the book. There's a really good book about. Cliff Robertson's blackballing. What had happened was there was an executive who was head of Columbia Pictures named Bagelman. David Bagelman. And Bagelman, I can't remember, there was some funny business about money being exchanged, and Bagelman was taking it, but he was putting it in Cliff Robertson's name. And Robertson found out about it and put the finger on Bagelman. And because Bagelman was so big, he was able to blackball so Robertson. So one of those classic, and you'll never work in this town again. Basically, yeah. I mean, he, he got he got blackballed for telling the truth. So and blackballed means put on a list where people won't work right. with you. Basically, exactly. Huh. He was ah, pers- the rumor I heard was that he had communist sympath uh, communist sympathizer or something, but that's not true at all. 
Uh, that may have been true. The only one I'm I'm definitely sure about is the one. This was like in the eighties, seventies, and eighties. So maybe that was the okay. second time he was blackballed. So maybe he got maybe he just got used to it after a while. During the mid sixties, when he did the movie Charlie, uh, this was that was before or after he got blackballed. It was after, right? That, if if he was in the communist thing, that would have been afterwards. Yeah, that was before the Bagelman episode. Ah, I see. Yeah, when I was a kid and I saw that movie Charlie, it, it really. As a child, I thought I thought he really was uh, mentally challenged, and you know. Then I, when I got older, you know. I, I just thought he was brilliant in the movie. I just thought yes. he was See, great. See, that, that, that speaks to rule number three about, you know, dis- despite changes in, in society or changes in you as a person, you became a person, you know, a different person as you became an adult, and, and this movie stuck with you. Mm-hmm. So it there you go. It stuck with me. Very good. Especially the crazy scene where he, he decides to sw- sow his wild oats, and he's out there doing these crazy in clubs, you know, doing these crazy <laughs> Like dance moves. <laughs> you know, we, we experimented on a guy like Charlie back when I worked at Reich's Warehouse, but it just didn't happen. Oh, no. He never got any smarter. No. So. But he was still the president. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, hey, you guys, take care. so Thank much, you much for calling. Scott. Keep cool, all right? You too. We might have a chance to take a couple more calls, but you'd yeah. have to call right now at 800-776-0090. This has been a very special live edition of Film Weekly Perfect as we celebrate the kickoff of a brand new season. Stay tuned Friday afternoons and Sunday mornings as we'll be presenting brand new episodes of this great YSO original show, 800-776-0090. We want to we thank all those church people for running out of church. <laughs> To sit in the car and listen to us instead of going to lunch. (laughs) I get a lot of calls from you in between church and lunch, and boy, we sure appreciate that, you know? We go to Randy in Bellbrook, and you have, I guess, a a sort of a personal preference and then a suggestion. Randy. Yeah. What's your your notion for the film guys today? Well, I had a question um, to see if they had any more examples of something that occurred to me. Uh, speaking of high-speed sequences, subliminal storyboarding, etc., um, I was reminded of the opening montage or setup sequence in the 2001 French romantic comedy Amelie. Oh, it's, it's quite and, good, yeah. And in the first three or four minutes, uh, it is basically a nano movie in itself that tells the life story of the central character up until the main you know, plot gets underway. Doesn't it, isn't a gnome figure in there? Excuse me? Is there, is there a gnome? Is there a, a, a plaster gnome that figures in there? Am I confusing the uh, the two uh, the, uh, with another movie? But, Not sure about the gnome. I thought it was and a actually, father. That... Actually, the, the one of the, I think the director of that was also responsible for um, Delicatessen. Yeah. Which is, which one is of a our, perfect and, movie. And the opening of Delicatessen, the, the title sequence is like that, where all the, the junk and, and imagery that mixes in with the titles all kind of plays with the story and also alludes to the people who are being credited. I mean, I really love it when they can take title sequences like that and actually work them into the picture itself. Now, the cinematographer on that picture is actually just done Joel and Ethan's movie that we finished in March or April, and his name is Bruno... I always have a hard time pronouncing his name. Looks like Del Bonnell. Del Bonnell, very nice guy, and he's responsible for a lot of that imagery because he's so skilled, uh, the camera. It's almost like a sub sub skill in in itself to do this exposition. Well, quick, he works for that director quick, quick. really well. He works for that director very spectacularly well. Mm. Nice guy. Thanks so much for calling, Randy. 
Okay. And thanks for listening to Thank Film Okay Perfect. We got one call on the line. If you wanted to uh, get on, you should call this moment at uh, 800 776 That's 800-776-0090, and it rings right through here to the studio. Uh, we have a call that uh, actually kind of is after my own heart. Yeah, we welcome Joe listening in Germantown. Joe, welcome to Family Perfect. Hi. Uh, love uh, your show. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Yay. Uh, my question is, uh, I wonder if you film guys ever worry about running out of perfect film nah there's just not we can, it's hard enough for us to get back in the studio to do this let alone run there there films. are many of them there's some that there's some i'm still discovering i i'm yeah. amazed even you know, where i work there we have stuff hidden in corners and things that have just mm-hmm. gone under the radar for years that are coming out and i'm like where was this yeah where and our this listeners I, and some of them are major things and i totally Miss them, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be on our next group. Our listeners give us some really fine. We always encourage them. Tell us your favorite movies because that way we can steal from you and use them. That's right. Which <laughs> is a it's a great way to communicate with the film guys. By the way, we get and, a lot and of nice do, emails. If we do run out of good ones, we always have. We can do a whole year of guilty pleasures. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> no, uh, we can talk about perfect. Down with Love forever <laughs> and okay. Love Actually. Yeah, Love Actually. Yeah. No more, uh, not, no sort of almost perfect movie. Well, that's, that's kind of what totally our guilty part. pleasures yeah. are. Well, that's yeah, where Budinsky comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Great. Thanks. <laughs> You're quite <laughs> Thank welcome. Thank you so much. Great question. Thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've got one more caller on the line, and that'll probably be the last one. Although, if you wanted to call real quick, you might be able to get through at 800 776 0090. That's again toll free 800 776 0090. We go now to Dayton and uh, Tony. Hello. Welcome to Film Okay Perfect. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, I, I, I was remembering, I enjoy your show for one. Thank you. I was remembering back when I was a kid, probably back in the 70s, my mother had dropped my little brother and I off at the Victoria Theater to watch a movie called Fantastic Planet. And it was an animated film. Yes, yeah, a uh, French animated not film. for kids. Oh, not yes. for kids. But because it was a cartoon, everyone assumed it was. Is that right? Well, Right. Well, I think that's what my mother's thought was when she dropped us off. And it just opened our world up with a, yeah, boy. a lot of concepts. And, yeah. My mom, and my mom took us... And- Oh, that's hilarious. My mom took us to see the Revere's when we were young, thinking that it was a good, wholesome picture, too. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic Plan is a French uh, French animated feature, oh. which, unfortunately, I've never seen it. I've, I've read about it, and I've seen pictures from it. Uh, for a long time, it was kind of unavailable. I believe it has just come out in, I guess, a really nice... I think it's out in a nice new oh, nice. DVD, so we may have to go out and check now, that see, one out. See, just so. hearing, uh, just hearing Tony, that's not for kids, that piques my interest right away. I well, it's French, <laughs> and you know the French only make films. We make movies. <laughs> you know, <Right>. I, <laughs> we're just about out of time. I think Tony, that you'll be our last call. Uh, or you know what? Actually, there's one more we'll get to. But Tony, thanks for calling. Thanks, and, Tony. And stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> uh, we go now to I believe we have Eric listening in date. We just have a, just a minute left. Eric, you have a question for the film guys. Yeah, guys, I've, I've been listening to you on and off for the past year or so, and I haven't had a chance to actually check your list. So I was wondering, is Jeremiah Johnson on there? Oh, you should. The film guys both paused, took a breath, and looked at one another. You know, it's a really great. It's directed by. A really Sydney good, Pollock. yeah. Hmm. I think that's on there. That, because, I believe that is on there because we just it's need so to get cinematic. To it. There's not much dialogue, right. which means instantly we're interested. Right. You know? so right. 
Yeah. It is, and it's, it's so different for, for Redford. I mean, it's yeah. it's a really good film for him. People love that movie, man. So, so yes, it. let me put that on my list for our for, next, for next consideration. That's how we do it. And yeah. we can run that by Budinsky. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. You're the last caller today on our very special live edition. Thanks All for right. calling, Eric. Thank you. And do stay tuned in the uh, in the weeks to come. Pimpleclay Perfect will be offering up brand new seasons, uh, brand new editions as we enter our uh, seventh season officially uh, of this great film show on public radio. That's the <laughs> <laughs> how apropos. <laughs> Oh, it's been such a pleasure, and uh, stay tuned. We're uh, going to be putting it up uh, on the line. You can uh, you can get us at iTunes, at npr.org, at yso.org, or you can go to the source at perfectmovie.net. If you'd like to write to the film, guys, and any questions that you would like to ask or uh, suggest a perfect film, we'd always love to hear from you. It's perfect. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. That's filmguys at perfectmovie.net movie.net gentlemen uh, we're going to be at film Dayton taping live there and other things coming and George down is going to do his library of uh, Congress uh, that's right they'll be showing man. these amazing shadows of film Dayton this year it's but a, his, something to behold. George's uh, they, show, George's exposition on, on the Library of Congress is absolutely fantastic. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Check it out. Um, the upcoming events for Film Dayton. It's coming up in August. We'll be there uh, taping live. And uh, George Williman, by the way, this documentary that they did, they came to the Library of Congress to talk about some of these old, old films. Mm-hmm. And when they got back to you, they had changed the name. And, and, they and took the title from something I said in an I know, interview. You said, hey, I like this new, I like the name. It's, it's pretty good. They go, well, you said it. Yeah. So there's a lot to that. Um, keep your eyes pointed to George Willeman, Nitrate Archivist for the Library of Congress and great, great film guy. George, thank you for being here. And thanks to our, our studio, <laughs> studio audience. Yay! And thanks to J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for Always the Coen pleasure. Brothers and just an all-around great guy. Uh, J. Todd, we got our eye on you and we'll be up to some fun soon, alright? Get your fingers out of my hair right now. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.